Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or 500 people, then I would have felt better. People say, Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Today we are going back to true crime, and I'm super excited because this is actually a local story. It is about the oldest cold case in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And it is actually interesting. I, while I was doing my research, there was a lot of information by this uh, blogger and Zodiac enthusiast online who actually corresponded with um, Patton Oswald's uh, wife, who sadly passed away. Um, so, uh, what's her first name? Michelle McNamara? Is it Michelle or Rachel? Michelle. I think it's Michelle. You're asking the wrong person for information on names. It was um, Michelle McNamara. I know this, and as soon as we hit record, I forgot. This is fine, though. This is this is how it goes around here. This is true. If we knew what we were doing, we would... Also, I feel like you should be careful calling yourself, like, a blank enthusiast when it relates to, you know, a serial killer, because I feel like that could be taken the wrong way. True, but he is, like, an investigative journalist yeah but that's like saying i'm a murder enthusiast that doesn't sound too good it doesn't it doesn't but he is very into the zodiac letters and the cryptograms and all of those things those are interesting yes and there is a slight tie to this story because there was a letter it was not the zodiac but the reason this hit his radar was because there was a letter involved in the murder and it was around the same time across the country but around the same time so a uh, little bit of backstory I am from Pennsylvania I was born here I was raised here I was actually fun fact born in the same hospital as Taylor Swift just before she was swapped at birth tonight uh, on E! Entertainment <laughs> Swapped at birth, except I'm older than her by quite a bit. Um, Swapped at birth, but it's, it's, it's fine. Mo is actually a Taylor Swift. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, so I was born in Berks County, and I now live in Lancaster County. So if you don't know much about Pennsylvania, uh, the state is kind of a rectangle, and there's like squiggly bits on the right-hand side, and then there's like a little hat on the top left-hand corner. Perfect description. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) That's what it is. The best description. (laughs) I should be like a geography writer. I should. -hmm. You really should. Like I would, I would hundred percent get more into like maps and geography if it was worded like that. (laughs) So Lancaster County is in the, like the midline of the state. If you cut the state right in half, it's in the center at the bottom in the south uh so south central every time i say that i feel like i'm in like la (laughs) because like that's when i always hear south central 
but uh, it's the south central area of the state. And within Lancaster County is a city called Lancaster. So a lot of people um, in the area call it Lancaster City, even though its official name is just Lancaster. So Lancaster City is a combination of residential, commercial, uh, your typical small city. Uh, right now, I, I think... I think it was the 2021 census I saw this from. Uh, the population is a bit over 500,000. So it's not a huge city, but it's not a little city. That's it what has... we call medium. <laughs> when it's not large or small, it's medium. That's, that's the word you're looking for, probably. You know what? I'm done. Bye. Podcast over. Understandable. Okay. Have a nice day. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I absolutely love about Lancaster is the art scene. There is actually an entire district focused on art. There are galleries, performance spaces, shops for uh, handcrafted goods, artisans, and uh, they have, I believe it's First Friday, uh, where the first Friday of every month, obviously the pandemic has changed this, but the streets would just be flooded with people. There would be you know, street artists, there would be live music, all kinds of stuff. It's really great. And then aside from the art scene, I'm just going to throw this one out here. If you ever make it to Lancaster City, you got to go to Roberitos. <laughs> it's a burrito place, hence the name. And they make you had their, me at burritos. Yeah, they make their own sauces. And they have, I think, 12 different sauces. And when you go there, if you, if you like dine in, they have a table with just giant squeeze bottles of all the different sauces. Or you can order them directly on your burrito. Or you can buy a bottle and take it home. And their sauces... Yes, I would like one burrito with every sauce you possibly make here. Uh, their sauces are amazing. Now, I am... I'm a wuss when it comes to spicy food, but they uh, they have all the way up to like the what is it like the four or five chili peppers, <laughs> you know the the really really yeah hot. like the the ghost pepper and the yeah. scorpion pepper. But they're really good. They have a garlic one. Oh my god, just the smell of it! It's so good. Again, you had me at garlic. Yeah. So that is like. If you go into downtown Lancaster, I highly suggest going to Roberitos. Now, I don't actually live in Lancaster City. I live in one of the outer towns. I'm maybe 15 minutes away from the city. Uh, and then the city is a like super, super harsh contrast to what Lancaster County is truly famous for. Amish country. Uh, tourist attractions and like you can go on tours to quote unquote see how the Amish live which I find very weird why do I feel like you're gonna take me out to an Amish farm and be like welcome to your new home uh, I'm uh, just that's, gonna go that's what horrible people do with uh, straight cats around here they just like take them out of the country and drop them off on a farm and they're like there you go you live here now yeah um but yeah <laughs> I, I when when we're driving and I open the door and scream tuck and roll, I would I would suggest tucking and rolling. 
Fair enough. <laughs> so uh, there is a huge, huge tourist attraction um, to outsiders. It is quaint and fascinating because they don't have electricity and they, you know, make their own clothes and, you know, they, they kind of shun themselves from society. But to residents, it's a, it's a different experience. Uh, it's very commonplace uh, to to just be surrounded by them to the point that it's annoying. Um, and I feel I feel kind of bad saying that, but like it's it's rare that you try to drive somewhere and you're not cursing behind the wheel of your car because you're stuck behind a horse and buggy on a two lane back road. There's traffic coming the other way, so you can't pass them. And they're just like in the middle of the street with their horse and buggy. And it, you know, it's usually when you're <clears throat> running late for work. Not that I would ever do that, but never. The, um, the other thing is, uh, when the when they become teenagers, there is a, a, a an age where for a year, if they want, they can leave the Amish faith and see the world. And most of them end up coming back to Amish dumb. But they're like, I saw some things and like, bro, I don't want to go back. Oh, no, it's more like, you know, that's their family. That's, yeah, you know, yeah. it might not be that they want to stay. It just sounds funnier yeah. when you put it that way. It does sound funnier when you put it that way. It's all like, society and we're like, I'm going back. Well, what's funny is you could always tell when a young Amish person is on Rumspringer because they will have their horse and buggy with like LED lights and a sound system banging in it and like you know it's all this please like, tell me they have like hydraulics in the buggy so it like can bounce up and down I'm 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 waiting to see it someday I'm waiting to see it someday I wish uh and then they like they like cruise around the parking lot like that and it's just it's this it is, is completely so off weird. topic, and I'll have to remember to send you this later, but... Uh, Dude, we're talking about the Amish in a true crime podcast. Yeah, no, I don't know how much of this you're going to cut out and what you're going to leave in, or if you're going to leave all of it in, but... Um, Most of it, probably. I'll send you the video later, so basically, you're like, one day you're going to see... Like, in this YouTube video, this guy took his Mustang and basically took the wheels off of it and put a horse and buggy wheels on the Mustang. Oh my god. Well, I know... Um, Back in the Great Depression, they would have these, basically, they couldn't afford gas, so they would strip everything out of the car and turn it into a chariot and hook it up to a horse. So oh, so basically like what we're getting close to now? Yeah, so what <laughs> they would do is they would they would leave the back wheels on and strip everything out of the front, take the front wheels off, so it has like the two forks that they could then mm -hmm. hook onto a horse... Um, rig and then they could have the horse although i feel like having a horse would be just as expensive as buying gas but that could be me i mean maybe i, I don't exactly know the cost of owning a horse but you know yeah all right so we're gonna wrap around because we went real far off into the weeds yeah, let's uh let's get back on the trail but yeah so i do love living here 
you know, I complain about some things, but I do love it. And it's a really, it's a, it's a cute little area. But, you know, I live in a small town. There's a lot of small towns around the city. And then the city, as we have determined, is a medium-sized city. Uh, (laughs) If a big crime happens, everybody talks. You know, it's, it's one of those things. So... We're going to take a trip back to 1975. Uh, In the UK, Margaret Thatcher became the first woman leader of the British Conservative Party. The Vietnam War was raging on. Uh, This in 75 was the Battle of uh, Ban Mi Thuat and Operation Baby Lift, where they were evacuating children. Uh, Before towards the end of 75, South Vietnam finally surrendered. Patty Hearst also hit the most wanted list and was arrested for armed robbery. And you will probably appreciate this. Well, no, maybe not because it's a movie. But the very first blockbuster, Jaws, hit theaters. Listen, I know I haven't seen many movies, but I have seen Jaws. Well, thank you the lord i've actually seen like that and then the the ones that they made after that so like two and then things the was like a third but yeah the sequels too yes <laughs> it has been a while but i have seen them there you go uh but yeah so that was released in 75 in manor township which is just outside of lancaster city it's actually on the other side of lancaster city from where i am although lancaster county is it's like a diamond so there's a lot of sides so it's like Anyway. We're getting into a lot of shapes here. Yeah, shapes, geography. Um, so in Matter Township, which is just outside the city, Lindy Sue Beekler was a beautiful 19-year-old newlywed who worked in a flower shop. Like, that right there is just, like, the most quintessential, adorable little description of a person ever. Yes. On December 5th of 1975... Her husband went to work at his job at a local rental car agency. He was also a student at uh, Millersville University, which is, uh, well, at the time it was Millersville State College, but it is still around. Um, Lindy went uh, after work. She ran some errands. She got some groceries and she returned home between 7 and 7.15. And then she waited for her husband to get home. Now, before this, for weeks, she was telling friends and family that she felt like she was being stalked. She would see someone peeking through the sliding glass door of the apartment, and she was really uncomfortable with the situation. It was more than once, and it was happening repeatedly. Because, you know, the first time you look outside and there's someone out there and it spooks you, it's like, oh, you know, it's probably just... It'd be nothing, you know, and it's just one time, but... But this was happening over and over again. Starts to become a pattern. Yeah, and it got to the point that she did not feel comfortable being home alone. Knowing her concern, family members and friends would stop by and hang out until Phil got home. So that night, her aunt and uncle visited to keep her company. They were, um, let's see, they got there at 8.40 p.m., And they let themselves in because the front door was unlocked. And instead of, you know, spending time with their niece, they were going to exchange recipes. 
they discovered what they have described as a horrific scene with blood on the front door, the entryway wall, and the carpet. Lindy's body was on the floor near the living room, between the living room and the kitchen, on her back. And she had been stabbed 19 times, and there was still an 8-inch butcher knife protruding from the back of her neck. How do you recover from walking in on that? I don't know. I, I don't know. Like... I feel yeah. like my brain would just kind of shut off and I would just like go, um, huh. And I would just turn around and leave and call the police. That's I probably that's, wouldn't immediately have a reaction because my brain would just like not really know how to process that. And that's actually common. That's why it's called shock. Uh, like yeah. the medical, the medical shock, not like, oh, what a shock. Like you, your body actually shuts down because it doesn't know what to do. Um, so most of the time when people do discover a body, especially a loved one, your body will go into shock. Yeah. Especially when you were, if you're planning this lovely chill evening and then you find that. And um, wrapped around the handle of that knife was a tea towel. And both the knife and the towel were confirmed to be from the Beekler's kitchen. The knife normally hung on a wall, um, you know, right by the counter where you would use it. And the towel was obviously there. It was later determined that there were two different knives used in the brutal attack. The second knife was not recovered and it was believed to have been brought to the scene and then removed with the killer. She, during the autopsy, they found wounds consistent with a struggle, but the only disturbance at the scene was a knocked over lamp. So they are thinking that it's possible she let her attacker in, it's possible she knew them, or they used some sort of a ruse, perhaps offered to help her with carry her groceries in, uh, or, you know, knocked on the door, asked for something, um, they aren't now sure. I'm not saying it's her fault or anything like that but like if you're being stalked why like I would think you would like recognize the person that you think is stalking you if you've seen them outside your house why would you let this person in your house I mean it depends on what you saw like if they had a, a hat and sunglasses on or like a True. mask yeah. or you know that you couldn't see their features yeah if you didn't see their face or anything like that yeah i guess that makes more sense but still you know but i'd be a little more cautious on who i let in my house if i'm thinking yeah. i'm being stalked the the third possibility is that as she was carrying the groceries in her hands were full and everything she went and opened the door and they just followed her into the apartment yeah and there's that yeah. You did say the door was unlocked, so... Yeah, so she was, you know, fumbling with the groceries. They could have just been right behind her, pushed her into the apartment, closed the door, and, you know, she then she wouldn't have willingly let them in, but they wouldn't have broken down the door or picked the lock yeah. or anything like that. Uh, so they did find a footprint in the kitchen and they believed it to be left by a man but footprints are one of those things that if 
it's hard to use as evidence. It has to match exactly. It has to have something very defining, and it can't be, like, the only piece of evidence. So the autopsy determined that her time of death was between 6 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. But we know she arrived home between 7 and 7.15, so there was a very, very small window for the attack. Of the 19 stab wounds, three were to the neck, 11 to the chest, and six were to her back. The wounds all had cut her carotid artery, a lung, and her heart. So there was massive bleeding, and she assanguinated and died, or bled to death. I guess assanguination is when you drown in your blood. I believe she just... uh, All of of those uh, vital things being hit, hopefully it was sort of quick at least yeah um one positive i guess I, there it, there are no positives here but the autopsy did confirm that she had not been sexually assaulted so I mean, that's um, yeah uh you know a lot of times with oh you know 19 wounds that's that's overkill that is rage or some sort of high emotion that is often it comes with horrible, horrible other stuff. And, yeah. you know, so there's that, I guess. I, I, I don't want to say it's a positive, but I guess it could have been. It means it wasn't as bad as it could have been. It's yeah. still bad, but. Yeah, it could have been just a bit worse. So, um, as I said, her husband was cleared because he was at work when it happened uh, you know there were there were witnesses <laughs> he, he was there so they were able to clear him and then a few days later newspapers reported that police were asking for information they there was a dark colored standard size American car which could not be a more vague description Uh, that had been double-parked outside of the apartment complex between 7 p.m. and 8.40, the night of the attack. I don't know if that ever came through with anything. Uh, I saw it in the timeline of the investigation, but I'm not quite sure if it turned up any leads or what, but there was a car double parked outside. I'd be surprised if that did, because like I said, that's a very vague description of a car. I feel like there's many cars with that description. A dark-colored, standard-sized American sedan. Yeah, that's like the majority of cars in this country. There's like like six of them on my block. (laughs) It's your neighbor. My neighbors are killers back in the 70s, when most of them probably weren't alive. Yeah. Um, so a month after the murder in January of 1976, police caught a break. They arrested 18 year old Mark Dominic, Mark Dominic Capilupo. That name is a tongue twister. Yes, it is. For assaulting four women and attempting to attack a fifth between December and January. In these attacks, he would threaten the victim with a screwdriver to get them off the street, get them in the car, you know, all that. And then he would, and this is where things really kind of differ, but he would tie them up and sexually assault them. So he didn't stab them 
and he did the things that weren't done to Lindy. So they were they cleared him for her murder, but he was arrested for the horrible things that he did. Uh, so I, I'm glad that they were able to get him off the streets. And a year you know, later, it's, it's positive. So yeah. Well, a year later, he was fatally shot while attempting to escape prison. So he will never hurt another woman again. So again, I, I feel like this is also a positive. Yeah, it's it's hard because, like, I know any single life taken is a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has parents, brothers, sisters, friends. But he did some pretty bad things. He did some pretty bad things, and he was trying to escape from prison, which you I go know, do more of those things. Well, and you know they were like, "Stop, or I will shoot." If if you if you stopped, they don't shoot you. Exactly. So, yeah. But unfortunately, after that arrest, the case cooled off. I know they had mentioned that within the first few days, they interviewed hundreds of people over the years, thousands of people. Um, and then in December of 1976, so this is about one year after her murder. I don't think it was exactly one year, but it was close. Some... There were some visitors to her grave. I'm not sure if they were family or friends, but they were visiting and they discovered it had been vandalized. There was red paint poured over the headstone and then it was slashed and chipped with some sort of sharp instrument. It was undetermined if it had been a prank or the killer trying to relive the crime, someone trying to leave a message. They weren't sure what was going on. But a few weeks later, a chilling letter was sent to the Lancaster Police Chief Donald Sheeler. It was a mix of hand-printed and cursive, and it appeared to be from two separate people. And I do have the letter. Now, there are some um, spelling errors and some weird capitalizations. So I will, I've been, as we go through these stories, I've been trying to post um, sources and everything on the website so that if you want to look at these things, so I'll make sure to also include the letter. But it says, Hi, Sheeler. Just eats up your heart knowing you haven't caught me yet. Still around, Lindy's marker on her grave just turned me on like she did. And the way she looked all bloody, like the paint on her marker, the scratch and nick marks represent the knife stabs. Count them. You wondered if the guy at the gas station in Mountville was, were related to Beekler's murder. Forget it, man. No way. I'll tell you what, Chief Pig. You print this letter in the paper, along with a picture in Friday night's Lancaster paper, and Saturday morning's paper, and I might confess. When I get off my trip, you see, the world owes me a living. Maybe I give you a few hints who I am. Got busted once for drugs a few years back. Live in West End of Lancaster suburbs. I'm 5'10 tall, 205 pounds, fat and beautiful, and capable of killing again without knowing it. December 5th, 1975 was under the stupor of amphetamines 
And I will say that the spelling of amphetamines, it took me a while to figure out what they were trying to say. Um, so I wondered if those, these were typos in the letter, but then I realized like, no, you didn't make a typo. That's just how it was written. Yeah. Yep. The, yeah. I copied and pasted this. Yeah. Um, so December 5th, 1975 was under the stupor of amphetamines, like right now. Well-educated man in the community, single, good job, but God please, chief. Help me. I'm losing my mind. Help me before I kill again. The headaches kill me. Every time it aches, the drugs only calm it temporarily. Will God forgive me? And then, please print this chief in the paper so I know you got it. V. I don't know what the V is. Then I write you again. God, I need a priest. What have I done? Help me, please. So then there is a postscript. P.S. Chief Sheeler. My friend has confessed to the killing of Lindy Sue Beekler, as God is my witness. Do as he asks. Print this letter on the front page. I am not aware of his intentions right now, but contemplating murder is not his intentions. He is mentally sick. When the letter appears, then he will turn himself in. He described the relationship he and Lindy had before he killed her. He only realizes it now when you're on drugs. You're not responsible for your actions. Please, he is asleep now. That's why I finished the letter. All I can tell you, my friend frequents Manor Shopping Center in the evenings and the fields around it. Mostly weeknights. He will contact you very soon, and oh, when he does, please bring a Catholic priest to the police station. Janice Crum. So I feel like if they finished the letter, like, could they, like, like, did he not read and see that someone else added to his letter? Like, they could have just dropped his name and his address or something in there. Well, I, I don't understand. Like, did they, did she finish the letter and then just immediately mail it? Did If so, you could have literally just threw in his name and address to turn him in if you're that worried about him. Or called the cops. Exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. Or like, not even, like, just let him mail the letter, add that in, mail the letter, and then call the cops and be like, hey, I'm turning this person in. Yeah. Just mailed this letter for him, but you need to come get them, like, right now. Yeah, and, um, so the, the letter requested it be shared in the paper. The police decided not to. And in retrospect, a lot of people who have looked at the case or, you know, been involved with the case wonder if that was a missed opportunity to potentially open a dialogue with the, the killer. They did try to find Janice Crumb, and they were unable to find anyone with that name even remotely close to the area. And they believed everybody involved in this was actually within Lancaster County or at least Southern Pennsylvania. And they, they just couldn't find anyone, which is interesting. Um, and like, uh, that's, that's not that weird of a name. Like it's not a common name, but it's not that weird of a name. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing too, when it comes to like releasing letters like that, uh, especially with what it says in the beginning about the knife stabs on the head marker and all that stuff. Like, what do you do, like, I guess they would have to call the family and be like, hey, this letter isn't very, you know, nice, but uh, we kind of need to release it to continue to talk with the killer to figure out who they are and arrest them. So, like, maybe don't read the paper. Well, that and also they have no idea, was this actually the killer? That was too. Was this somebody screaming for attention? 
what you know maybe somebody saw on the news because this happened a year after so they saw the murder on the news they saw all the stuff happening out in california with the zodiac and they were like oh haha so it could have been a prank it would have been a terrible prank uh, yeah. It also so, like I feel like they gave a lot of like very descriptive things. It's like that's, why would you give that many things for a prank? This is true. This is true. And they're you know they never like I said they never found Janice. So you know who's to say she even exists? Could have been if this was the killer. Could have been him making up a fake name just to be able to throw in some extra hints. Could be why they didn't th- throw in a name and address. Or multiple like personalities. That I know too. it is rare. Um, it is not like it is in the movies and stuff like that, but it does exist. There are people who um, can separate their consciousness into multiple um, personas. Yeah, like this this may be going off a little bit, but I mean it is still on topic. But there's a uh, a YouTube channel that I'd have to look it up to find the name of it again. But um, it's a lady who has multiple personalities, and uh, she also does art. And she start basically will do digital art and start drawing as she has a personality shift. And you can physically see the changes in the drawing happening as her personality is changing. The art style changes, how she draws changes. And um, there's even some things where she sort of like introduces the other personalities Mm -hmm. as they come out and everything. So it's like, and you can actually see it does seem like a completely different person. So... I guess some cases it is sort of like the movies, but not exactly. Yeah. There's a few things that are exaggerated for movies, but well, yeah, there well, is a movies very make clear it out shift like it's there. Very common that oh, you yeah. just have multiple personalities, where it's it's much more rare than that. That wasn't me. That was Patricia. Um, that actually, when you mentioned about the art, uh, tonight is the night of tangents. I don't know if yes. you've ever seen uh, Picasso's work. Uh, now it was not multiple personalities, but he um, he had a massive decline in his mental health. I believe it was schizophrenia. And when he started, he would do self portraits over the years, and you can actually track his mental decline through those self portraits. Yeah, there's a a video out there of him doing a painting he went to his studio and they like interviewed him while he did a painting and it was very interesting to watch him because it was after his painting started to get kind of weird and watching him paint and listening to him talk it's like it's very interesting i actually love watching artists create their work it's one of my it's one of my favorite things that and watching people um do the royal icing on cookie cookies where they like flood it that's what i like to watch before i fall asleep Ah, uh, yes, let's watch food videos before we sleep. Shut up. Okay. So, reel it back in. Reel it back in. So, the case then, as I mentioned at the beginning, went on to become the oldest cold case in Lancaster County. Lindy, at the time of her murder, had a seven-year-old half-brother, Mike. And even though he was young at the time, he still remembers her to be vibrant and lively he said when she was there you wanted to be around her and considered her to maybe be the most beautiful person i ever knew he has been very vocal over the years 
talking to, as I said, the uh, the blogger and Zodiac uh, researcher, as well as you know the press and everything like that. He even in 2007 personally funded a billboard asking the public to contact police if they knew any possible information on the crime. So he has made it his life mission to find out what happened to his sister. In, that was nice. Yeah. And like that, that should tell you what kind of a person she was like to, to yeah, have people are paying somebody. out of their own pocket for billboards, which ain't cheap. Yeah. And I mean, to have touched him so, so deeply um, you know, she would, you know, he met, uh, I saw some stuff where she would babysit him and they would spend the time together on the holidays and, yeah. you know, just, he loved his sister so much. So in 2018, there was another Lancaster County cold case that utilized genetic genealogy to solve the 1992 murder of 25 year old Christy Mirak. And this brought hope to the surface once again for Lindy's friends and family. I don't know if you know anything about genetic genealogy. Tiny bit, but like just the very basics. So basically what they will do is they will take the DNA sample and they will encode, you know, they will go and map out the entire DNA of that person. And then it is a combination of both DNA as well as genealogy and his and history so they will go through public databases they specifically do not go through the government databases like CODIS but they will go through things like ancestry.com and uh what is that 23 and me 23 and me yeah so they go through all of those databases because these people have voluntarily given up their DNA and they will look for familial markers so that they can try to build a family tree based off of the genetics. And they do this both for suspects, if they have the perpetrator's DNA, and they will also do it for um, unknown victims. So Jane Doe's, John Doe's, uh, anybody that they just can't identify, they can run through this and try to find family members to try to figure out who this person was. Um, so through genetic genealogy, which is another mouthful, they were able to solve this 1992 murder. And back in the seventies, when this happened, even though DNA testing wasn't even part of the legal system in the seventies, they collected all the evidence, hoping that maybe someday they could do something with it. And then in September 2019, that technological advancement paid off. So the autopsy had determined that the victim had not been sexually assaulted. However, semen was found on the outside of her underwear. So I don't want to know what happened after he killed her, but... I'd rather least, not find out that bit of information. Yeah, but at least he did not do anything to her. And there were also two drops of blood on her stockings. Both were believed, like all of it was believed to be deposited after her death. 
and they believed the blood was because it was a violent attack. They think the perpetrator cut themselves. Uh, genetic genealogist Cece Moore from Parabon Nanolabs, and I actually, um, I'll try to remember to grab a link to this as well. They have a lot of information on genetic genealogy. Uh, they were able to analyze the DNA, and um, through that, sketches were released of what this person would have looked like at age 25 and what they would look like at age 65 since there was a 40-year span, so you can see what they probably look like now. They also, in addition to the sketches, did phenotyping on the DNA, which is where the DNA determines specific characteristics. So your eye color, your hair color, do you have freckles? Are you fair skin? Do you have darker skin? Do you have um, the thingy where you can curl your tongue into a taco? All of that is written yeah. into our DNA. And through phenotyping, they can look at every single chromosome, every single strand of DNA, and say, this person has blue eyes, red hair, freckles, pale skin. I just described my niece. <laughs> but Understandable. Yeah, through phenotyping, they were able to determine those things. So they had the sketches, they had the phenotyping, and they had the family trees from the genetic genealogy. And, of course, the police were reinvigorated. They went through over 2,000 residents at the time in Manor Township, in Lancaster City, in Lancaster County. They went through all of these people and slowly narrowed down. And the, the DNA was a male. They had certain characteristics. And suddenly, there was a new prime suspect. David Sinopoli. Police monitored him, so they were pretty sure this all lined up, but they had to prove it. So he was at the Philadelphia International Airport, and this part actually sounds like something from a movie. He was at the airport with his wife, drinking some coffee. I guess they were about to catch a flight with some friends to go on vacation. He gets up, he throws his coffee cup into the trash and walks off to get on his plane. And immediately police snatched that cup up, sealed it in an evidence bag and took it for testing. And that DNA was an exact match. So they were able to then look through everything. And in 1975, he lived in the same apartment complex as Lindy Sue. Currently, he is in the Lancaster County Jail with no bond while he waits court proceedings. So him actually being convicted is not going to be for a bit because the legal system does have process. So it is not an immediate thing, but he was Based he's in jail. Yes, he is in jail and they they solved the crime using genetic genealogy. I wondered if this was going to be a cold case or if this was going to get solved. I was I was curious. I'm, I'm glad to see they got someone. So yeah, it took 46 years. Well, at least they eventually got him. I mean, yeah. hate that it took that long, but still. Well, it opens up a lot of hope because how many cold cases out there have DNA, have this evidence that they just couldn't do anything with back then? Yeah. And you know, I feel like. Now, uh, 
if you are ever at an airport and you see a guy with rubber gloves come on and pull a cup or something out of the trash can, you're just going to freak out and be like, oh my god, I just saw someone get some DNA. I just witnessed an investigation. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is actually the same process, the genetic genealogy that they used to get the Golden State Killer, who was a serial killer back in the 70s. And he um, has been convicted based off of all this. So uh, this, it is a fairly new technology. So the fact that it is now gaining a viability in the legal system is really great because you know, it's going to help solve a lot of crimes. But yeah, I, I'm going to keep following the story to see, you know, how his court proceedings go and everything. But as of right now, he's just rotten in jail. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, at least there's that. It's no conviction yet, but at least he's off the street kind of thing. They're so. working on it. They're working yeah. on it. And I yeah. will say that is some pretty solid evidence I mean, yeah, if you got exact DNA matches from the crime scene and from this guy, then yeah, I mean, it's pretty sure that, like, it's him, so. Yeah, yeah. And it, in the same apartment complex, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it does come down to reasonable doubt, and, you know, perhaps the defense has some evidence, etc., but I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that this will be solved, and he will be convicted, and it will have a happy ending. Yes. But that is the end of our story for today. I do want to thank you guys so much for hanging out with us, listening to this was the episode of all the tangents. And we do apologize. So many rabbit holes, but that's how it goes sometimes. I mean, I feel like that's what makes us endearing. I, yeah. I don't know if I believe that, but I'm going to go with it because let's it just let's just better. go with that. You know, if we believe it, then, you know, it must be true. So, I mean. So, that's how that works, right? <laughs> yes, that's how it works. So we will be back next week with a Krakow story. And I am going to hand it over to Kraken to say goodbye. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye.